We are thrilled today to be here with uh, Tammy Garns, who is the Vice President of Education and Understanding for Array 101, which is the education arm of Ava DuVernay's company, Array. Many of you know this company, and it's just a thrill to be able to talk about some of the work that they're doing around film and educational outreach well beyond a traditional definition of education, something that Defining Us is committed to and focused on as well. And because our company is focused on the power of media and the promise of education to create positive social change, we're just thrilled with this opportunity. So Tammy, thank you so much for being here today. Hey, it's great to be here with you. We wanna talk a little bit um, to get us started about this idea of the power of media and the promise of education and your role at Array 101 and how you got into this work. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up here. Hi, so thank you. Thank you again for having me. And we're always excited to talk about the work we're doing here at Array and how it fits into the greater good and disruption of media and entertainment. So personally, if, if we're just talking about me, uh, I started out always wanted to be in something that uh, related to entertainment. So whether, you know, just always had a passion for all things storytelling, always had a passion for the arts in general. Theater was my first love and um, acting and all those sorts of things. And so I never really thought of myself as a child actor, but I guess that's what I was. I was a teenager in my little local market in Arkansas and, uh, you know, just loved all things acting and the stage and writing. And I was really lucky that people encouraged me all around me in a place where, you know, that doesn't seem to be a real pathway for success or for career, um, that people really encouraged me starting in middle school to pursue things that had to do with storytelling. That's the best way to describe it. So whether it was giving a speech or performing locally on stage at a college or uh, working at my first job was at a dinner theater in Little Rock um, or working at our local repertory theater. Gosh, when I was still in my late teens, early twenties, there was always someone pushing me to stay in that pathway. So I just figured I'd go to New York and, you know, be on stage and <laughs> get my awards. And I watched the Tony. <laughs> I would say, that's going to be me one day. Yeah. And a, a movie came to town called The Ernest Green Story. It was a Disney film. And my agent got me a job. And yes, there are agents and managers in little places like Arkansas <laughs> and uh, that are not entertainment hubs. And she said, you can be a stand-in for every single day of the film, or you can have a speaking line for one day. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I was probably about 19, 20 years old. And I said, oh, I want to be there every day. I don't know what that job is, but I want to be there every day so I can see what's happening. And maybe I'll meet some cool people, yeah. you know, and maybe somebody will pack me in their suitcase and take me away with them to Hollywood. <laughs> and um, that's pretty much what happened. Um, the wow. two producers on the film were terrific women that were so smart. And I didn't know what producing was. I didn't know what film was. I had never been on a film set. And these women just really gave me their time and attention and answered all of my questions. And before I knew it, they told me about film school. And they said, you know, it's really great that you want to try to perform, but have you ever thought about being the boss? Have you ever thought about learning the business side? There are so few women, they said, that are in the 
on the business side of film and okay. television and theater. Can we encourage you maybe to do that or, or at least, you know, explore it? And within a year, I was sitting in California in film school in classes, completely a fish out of water, I have to say, you know, because I hadn't watched all the movies and I hadn't been to all the places and everyone in the room was, there were only 20 of us from all over the world. Everyone was so well-traveled and so experienced and so knowledgeable about film and television and law and entertainment and business. Some of the people already had their MBAs and some people were, had already been to law school. And, you know, here I was basically a kid still coming in saying, uh, I've watched a few movies. I think I can do this. Some ladies <laughs> told me I could. And, and that's kind of how, how it all started. And from there, I just started making connections and meeting people. And uh, before you knew it, our, my paths crossed with Ava DuVernay. And that was over 20 years ago. And we've kept in touch since then. And here I am today working for her at her company. It's a journey that is uh, very non-traditional to say yeah. the least, because I had lots of stops along the way that had nothing to do with entertainment, but they always had to do with storytelling. So I kind of feel like I've always stayed true to that drive and belief that I was meant to tell a story. And it's just manifested itself in different ways over time. Well, that's a great story in and of itself, right? Your story is a great story. And I connect with you from the Arkansas experience because I think you remember that we both have roots there to some degree. I wasn't born there, but I lived there in Little Rock for 13 years and know yeah. Central High well. And uh, my husband is actually from Arkansas. And it's, it's the power of women and even women in small communities that have, you know, and women that are willing to be good ancestors or to be working in their lives to mentor other women and lead them along the way. And I, I want to talk about that a little bit more as we get deeper into the podcast. I love what you guys are doing. So many people do. I mean, I, you know, it, you guys touch so many with your stories. And um, I think the depth of the stories that you guys tell and the learning guides that you are putting out are really incredible. You know, I come at this from a media standpoint before starting this company, and this company is a media and education company, as you guys have moved into. You know, you've got the media side, but also the educational channel that you are running. And media has so much potential and so much power if they still tell stories with depth. Yes. As you know, I'm a huge fan of Colin in Black and White. It's probably one of the best series I've seen in trying to show some of the complexities and the depth. Uh, the new one that you guys have got out, Home Sweet Home on OWN, another one that is really doing some interesting, great things to get people to understand and see each other in different ways. So really, really some interesting stuff. So tell me about now you're at Array. And you are the head of Array 101, and you guys are doing these great learning guides. And I just wonder what is your goal and what's your mission? Where do you want to take the work on the education side, Tammy? Oh, that's a great question. Anyone who knows anything about this company and our founder's vision <laughs> knows that everything that's done here is done in a way that tries to have as big of an impact as possible in the space that we're in. So I'm trying to keep up with my peers here. I'll be honest with you. Mm -hmm. You know, I have Tulane Jones sitting across the hall who 
is the president of our company. And this woman is releasing films on a regular basis on Netflix that are getting receiving critical acclaim um, that if it were not for she and Array would never have been released, usually made by women or people of color, right? So just imagine that. You could work your entire life just in that sector of the entertainment industry. It's unheard of for a woman to be releasing movies in the way that she does every few months that people are paying attention to on a major platform. So I'll put that over there. Then I have AFW, um, which is Array Filmworks um, in, a, in another part of our campus. And they are putting out the, the projects that you just talked about, stellar, incredible projects like Colin in Black and White, um, like Home Sweet Home that you mentioned. Naomi is on every week. Queen Sugar is coming back for season six. So these are people who, I mean, they're not just putting out eh, okay TV. They're putting out stellar television and stellar films that people talk about um, that are life-changing for some people. I mean, people don't, you know, when Ava releases something like 13th through Array, people don't just say, oh, that was a good film. They say, you know, this is a must watch. This is something that right. everyone must see. We got to talk about this. It should be a curriculum in classrooms. So that's over there. And then I have the rest of my colleagues here who are working in the nonprofit space under Array Alliance and are also killing the game. Mercedes Cooper over here has built an entire theater on this campus that right. people screen uh, movies in and television shows in and they have events. This campus is a work of art in itself with murals on every wall and just a beautiful creative space. I, 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 like I'm surrounded by pure brilliance. Mm -hmm. So when you ask me, where do I wanna take education here next? I wanna try to meet them, <laughs> right? <laughs> I wanna just try to get in the game I'm, I'm still a little new to this um, sector where art uh, meets education. I'm trying to keep up with them. I don't just want for us to release learning companions that go with the films that Array produces or releases. I want us to be a part of the national and international conversation on how art can move people in a way that changes behavior in the real world that we sit in, right? So you watch something on the screen, but it's not just for entertainment. What themes and things are, am I taking from that and implementing in my own life so that the things that I saw and when they see us don't repeat themselves? Yeah, you know, I think that was, that's the beauty, Tammy, right there. I think you really just said it of art um, and media meeting education to allow us, like I said, to go to the deeper layers. Mm -hmm. Um, we've always, we've always looked at storytelling and actually in the education world, the research is there. We've done, you know, 10 years of research on outcomes in schools and with media. And when you can tell a story, be it an animation be it in video, be it in film, mm -hmm. when you can tell a real story and I can connect with you on a different level and have that complexity, it's amazing how you can actually shift behavior. And the research shows that that's true. You know, if I can feel something, if I can connect with you in a certain way, if I can see myself in you as the audience, the research is showing that, you know, you actually will get up and do something different or you're more likely to, mm -hmm. um, which is powerful. 
And I don't think people think about that that much. And they don't understand how important that power of story is um, and that complexity that we can create through the creative process. And, you know, with like, for example, with Colin in black and white, you know, that's where that series was incredibly successful mm -hmm. because depending on who was watching it in the audience, um, it was impacting them in different ways, right? So then, so then you wonder, what do you do with that, right? What, what is your next step? You watch it. Right. It impacts you. You may talk about it with some friends or family members or the people in your home. Right. But how do you attack the injustices that you, you were alerted to for some people and reminded of by, for a lot of people that exist? I mean, do you, I mean, it's hard for people to go back into their regular lives after they watch a moving piece of entertainment and be the same person or do the same things. So I, we are hoping that, you know, the kind of materials that we're putting out gives people not a chance just to say, okay, I saw it, now let's talk about it. We don't wanna rehash it. We wanna get into the why behind it, the history behind it. I mean, even, even like episode one of Colin, since you mentioned Colin, yeah. it deals with hair. Right. right, it was so powerful. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, what it's really dealing with right. is the black aesthetic, and yes. why people are so fearful of it. So, in the learning companion, we're not going to just sit there and talk about cornrows and Allen Iverson again because you just saw that on the screen, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to loop you back to the 1700s in New Orleans and tell you about the Tingan laws and how these laws were created so that free women of color had to hide their hair under hair scarves in order not to be seen as so beautiful on the streets of New Orleans when they walked. They were too much of a distraction. They were actually too successful, too beautiful. But who would know that, that a lot of that behavior in coding and uh, vilifying the way people dress and look that are of color is really rooted in systems that go all the way back to the 1700s in this country, where people try to suppress the greatness and the beautiful aesthetic of black people by telling them that they couldn't wear or do certain things. So, so what you see happening with you know, the dress codes and the NBA in the early to mid 2000s is no different from what was happening in the late 1700s in the street of New Orleans. And so once you start connecting those dots, people realize that what they're seeing is an anomaly. It's not new, right? It's a continuation of the suppression of a certain group of people. And now we need to dig into why people are so fearful of folks and what we can do to change their understanding of who we are and what we are, or decide that it's not our job to change their understanding and to be proud of who we are and walk in a space that we're created to walk in and not be worried about what people think. So I, I just, there's so much power, you know, trust your power, know your power is one of the themes out of Colin, but there, there's so much power in knowing who you are and from whence you came so that you can walk into your presence space as a person of color in this country without any fear and without any apology. So hopefully people walk away from anything that we put out feeling proud of, of themselves and rooted, right? It's really important for us to, to make sure in all of our learning materials that people understand that they're not the first of their kind. We continually right. come back to that theme in Sankofa. Um, we're gonna see it in, in They've Gotta Have Us, which is uh, another companion we're working on about the history of black film. You know, in that one, it's like, oh, black people in the early 1900s were making movies in Chicago, Oscar Micheaux, stories you may have heard. 
no, no, no. Black people appeared on film in the 1800s, right? So we get into right. what that looks like and what that history is. So everything has an origin. And hopefully in the materials, we start to help people understand that uh, they're more powerful than they think they are. Well, and I think that's right. And I think that goes back to critical thinking, providing the information and multimedia where you've got the film and the learning companions that go with it. There's resources for inside a school. When you talk about how do you create change and both of those paths are so important, you know, Tammy, to change what you can, but also to live in a space where you can be who you are and what's going on in schools right now and understanding that all of these things, when we can talk about them day after day after day, right? When we can see the film and extract parts of it through the learning guides and focus on things and give you more information and more things to think about. And that's not just in a school, that's in a community. I mean, your stuff is downloadable on the website. You know, yeah. anybody who has looked at any and, of and it's free and it's and free it's free and it's free. Anybody that's looked at any of these films should be going to that website and saying, I want to know more. And I think that's what happens to you. I think that first you have to open those hearts a little bit. It can just be a crack, mm -hmm. right? But open the heart a little bit of a broad audience and tell the story in such a way that that heart can be opened to a broad audience. Sometimes, sometimes it's still more narrow, obviously, however that film is produced, but then they say, I want to go and know more. Mm -hmm. And then beginning to delve deeper with the critical thinking skills. And, you know, honestly, for adults, we all need critical thinking skills, kids, adults, you know, a variety of levels and what's going on with, you know, changing hearts and minds in schools, social and emotional learning, transformational social and emotional learning, doing things with an equity lens, uh, mental health issues, all those things are the things we cannot see and that art allows us to open up to. I've been thinking lately because I, I Stacey, um, just like you, I've pretty much walked through this experience of being, you know, I'm grateful that my mother said, you, if you're going to get a theater degree, you have to also get an education degree. So right, right, she's yeah. thankful for that, because that means that 30 years ago, when I got that education degree on top of that arts degree, it kind of set me up for this moment later mm -hmm. in life. Right? right. So I've walked through these last 30 years or so thinking all you have to do is what you said, just a little crack there so I can get into your heart, mm -hmm. open up hearts and minds. And I actually say that a lot of times when I'm talking about the work we do here at Array, you know, we're trying to change hearts and minds. But over the last year, yeah, and really the last six to eight months as I've watched the legislation um, around education, especially right now during this legislative season, um, yeah. and I'm watching states and with bills that are so anti learning about anything, but specifically history and the history of certain people, I'm starting to have a little different thought process about some of that. I have to say, I really want to get into the hearts and minds of people, but at some point we've got to throw down the gauntlet and just say, this is history. These are facts. I don't need you to be open to it. I don't need you to like it. I don't need you to be okay with it. I just need you to teach it, right? It's got to be in the school. It's a standard. It's a thing that happened. And if you're going to teach A, then you're going to teach B because we're no longer going to let the history of indigenous folks, Asian Americans, of Black Americans, of anyone who built this country not be taught anymore. And so 
there, there was a piece of me when I first started doing this work that was really about if we can just get through to people and they'll understand that, that people, you know, in their hearts are the same. I still hold that belief. But I think the work of disruptive companies like Array is also to say, I want you to change your heart and mind, but if you don't, that's okay, because we're still going to have this material. There is so much I can point to that I've had to learn as an adult about the history of this country that I shouldn't have had to learn on my own. It's almost cruel what we've been doing to students in our lifetime um, with the withholding of information, because then they take that under education into the workplace years later and they act and react with out having all the information about people and things and history and then of course you and I both are lovers of public education so it hurts even more when I watch people who are in private educational systems receive information that is different from our kids who are in the public systems. We are on the exact same page on that. And um, I, I know you've seen a cut of defining us. And I think, yes. and I think, you know, the thing we're really honing in on and defining us is there's sort of these two tracks, right? There's kind of the general public that is moving through their lives and, you know, doing the things that they do every day and taking all kinds of media in, right? From different sources. And then there are the people who are really out there trying to put forth critical messages. And I think what we're seeing is the fear that you talk about and how that fear can spread and how that fear can become something that we now are turning into all kinds of ideas and thoughts and ways things should be done and attempts, quite frankly, the fear can become a ruse for something much deeper and much more dangerous and much more critical. What I'm hoping is, is that the general public, I keep going back to Colin Black and White, but the general public, the more they can see humanity, the more they can see stories that have complexity, is that complexity, right? It's the stuff you don't see. It's what I mean by that is stuff that's not set in a script. It's something that you can relate to that you kind of open up to and go, huh, okay, let me look at this a little bit differently. We can educate them on one level there, right? And hopefully that is a groundswell over time with the reach of mass media and multiple voices that can be heard that will push the disruption forward right? Even though they may not be in the audience, the person who's going to completely disrupt. Does that make sense? That does make sense, even though the person might not be in the audience. I mean, you know, here, here's the other thing, and I'll just okay. be very transparent with you. Sure. And since we're talking about Colin and Black and White specifically, and we're talking specifically about people of color, Black people in America, I have to be honest with you, most of the Black families that I know don't wait on any institutions to teach them anything right. about their race or their history. Yeah. Um, those are things that we've been doing for centuries <laughs> since enslaved Africans arrived on this continent. We've been keeping our own stories going generationally. We've been training and teaching kids in our communities. And you'll see that with lots of communities around this country. If minority communities in America waited for other people to teach them about their history, they would be lost. 
So in a lot of families, this teaching is done in our churches, it, in Black communities, it's done um, in weekend courses, it's done in private institutions or schools where our students go, where they are taught by people who understand their heritage, much like many other communities that do it for religious reasons or right. for um, ethnic reasons. Um, they want to keep the history of, of their folks alive. And so on one hand, we love producing these types of materials so that everyone can have an opportunity to participate with them. But at the end of the day, I don't think any of our communities are going to be hindered necessarily. You know, if, if people continue to take certain things out of schools, <laughs> we're kind of accustomed to it. We're going to keep learning and keep growing and yeah. keep thriving in spite of, because as a culture, as the only people who were, you know, brought here by the thousands and enslaved on this continent, we're going to keep it moving. We're always going to figure out a workaround in order to be successful, in order to live and thrive and continue to move forward as a, in our community. So just thinking about that, we do a lot of, uh, in the last guide we get for Sankofa, we dig a lot into genealogy, into yeah. family history, in order, like you said, for people to discover their own identity and to try to figure out who they are in this great big world. And talking to people about those lessons, I learned that folks really, really, really hunkered down and decided that they can't count on public institutions and schools um, and the education system to necessarily educate their children effectively. So they've, they've continued the legacy of doing it on their own. Um, and I have to say, you know, kudos to all of those families and parents and groups that make sure that that continues to happen because I, I think what you see with our learning companions is an outward show of what we've been doing behind closed doors at our, at our kitchen tables for centuries. Yeah, and I think that's so important and you're absolutely right, but it shouldn't have to be that way, right? And I hear you that the Black community is going to continue to do that and has always done that. But I just think that in schools, there's so many kids who find themselves in places where their parents are not equipped or are working too much or whatever the situation is, you know, their families are, you know, they're being raised by different people and the school becomes their place to go where they can be with an adult that can really be understanding, caring, empathetic, and st stability. And I agree. The time that I spent inside the public uh, education system, which was several years over the last decade, I have to say that the school building, the schoolhouse is home for so many students. And it is the only place sometimes that they feel safe, wanted, and taught, um, which is why we offer these types of materials for free to any school, right. any teacher, right. any educator who wants to use them there. I mean, literally, it's free. We bring in experts. They help us to write these materials. They're, like you said, chock full of information, and they are free. <laughs> you know, all you have to do is click on the link and open them, which, which we know now after, during the pandemic, you know, schools have really gotten on, on top of things when it comes to their access to the internet. So, so we know that schools have the ability technically to download these lessons. But Stacy, there are states right now where they are forbidden to download. Oh no, I, I'm so aware. So, yeah. So, I mean, so you know, yeah. I mean, yeah. we can talk about how we want it in schools all day long, but when you have legislators literally stopping this type of information from being put forth, then I think we need to get to the root of where the real problem is. Right. And that is 
the suppression of this information because we're creating it. There's plenty of it out there. But if you're not allowed to talk about it, what what, what are we going to do? So, so yeah, Tammy, I think this is wildly dangerous. I think that there, and what we're trying to do with Defining Us is to have educators who want to tell the real story and the real truth and really talk about the fear that's out there mm -hmm. to be able to have a platform to lift their voices and the students that they serve, the students who are directly impacted by this legislation. And by the way, it's not just students of color that are directly impacted, they are most acutely impacted because it really potentially shuts down their ability to talk about their identity and to talk about the issues that make up who they are. Right. However, the danger for white students to not have this information, for us to not educate a populace that has the real truth about what our history has been, who our ancestors were, what the accomplishments were, what the importance of diversity, and I don't mean diversity in sort of a shallow way, the importance of people who have different experiences and different lenses to be in the debate and to be weighing in on that debate and to have the same power in their voices in that debate, that's a problem for everybody in this country. Black, white, gay, straight, the danger for all Americans and the ability to look at films like you know, Home Sweet Home and to offer the positive side of what happens, what our country can become, who we become, how we transcend, how we transform, how we don't get rid of past injustices because they occurred, but how we move forward together, that's all threatened when you can't do this. It's absolutely threatened. But again, I go back to the fact that this threat isn't anything new to our communities. So this suppression of information, this ostracizing of certain groups of people, you know, pretending as if things that happened didn't really happen. I mean, right. you and I are old enough to remember history books that when you talked about enslaved people, it would show happy slaves, literally pictures of people being happy to serve in our textbooks. I mean, and some of those images still existed up until the last couple of decades. So it has always been a calculated move to make sure that certain types of people and movements were not taught about in this country. And that's probably always going to be the people in power are able to paint the narrative that they want to be told oftentimes. So it is important for those of us who have a platform and the ability to give a counter narrative or a true narrative of the way things really are to always stand up and do that whenever possible. Now, it doesn't mean that people will always like the types of materials that we produce, and it doesn't mean that they'll always accept them and allow them to be taught to the masses in uh, places like public schools, but it doesn't make them not exist. I think some of it is also imperative on people who want these facts to be taught. We have educators all over the country who are making sure that the truth is told in their classrooms right. um, by any means necessary. And I think parents are doing the same. And so while it may feel somewhat dire in the sense that all of this legislation is coming out, for a lot of folks, Stacey, it's basically 
everything that you've been doing kind of behind closed doors, you're doing it out in the public now. So it's not like it's shocking to a lot of us. It's more of the same. So the way you get around that is to always keep beating the drum about what's true um, and what's real and making sure that history doesn't get lost and that other people are able to rewrite it in a way that they would like, you know, for the story to go. I think you're right about that. And I mean, I think when we interview folks from Defining Us, I mean, Sharon Contreras, who's the superintendent of Guilford County Schools, says, you know, I remember reading in the textbook some of the things that you're talking about, Tammy. I remember reading a line in my textbook that said, Black people live in poor communities. Right. right? So if you, if you read that as a child and, you know, we're in the same age group. So here we are both having heard that. I've seen and read it, you've seen and read it in the same classroom, and now we're adults in, in the workplace with the power to hire other people and to make decisions about other people's lives and to work in healthcare and make decisions about their health. Can you imagine how that's manifesting in everyday life of how people see people and treat people? Oh, absolutely. Right? And so yeah. that's those are the kinds of conversations we get into in the learning companion. We get into things that are sometimes uncomfortable to talk about because most of us have been raised a certain way if you're of a certain age. And so that's, that's also why we believe the learning companions are for all age groups. They're not just for folks who want to teach them in schools or on college campuses. They're really created for anyone who still wants to learn. And that includes adults, that includes young adults, older adults, people who wanna sit around um, in their homes and use them, people who wanna use them with their faith groups. We try to create them so that you can jump in anywhere in any lesson and take something away. You know, one of the things I used to always say to my kids when they would come home from school, what did you learn today that you didn't know yesterday? That's all your dad and I want to know. We mm -hmm. don't care what you made on the test because it's mm -hmm. over. <laughs> we yeah. don't care what grade they say is on your midterm report. It's in the past. There's nothing we can do about it. In fact, I stopped opening up report cards. I have no idea what grades my child in middle school made her entire middle school career. I didn't look at them. I literally put them in the trash. Didn't matter because I knew she was learning, whether she was learning something at school or she was learning it from our household. We were going to make sure that she learned something new today that she didn't know yesterday. And so I think that that thirst for, for knowledge, it's just kind of, you know, the impetus from which we spring outwards here at Array. We are passionate about media and film and television and entertainment, but Ava is equally passionate about education and making sure that the art that she creates matter and lives on longer than she does and, or, or that the company does. And that it leaves an imprint with people that continue to think about it well after the film or television show has come out. So hopefully just by being aware that that's the mission of the organization to be that disruptive force and to cause conversation. Um, you know, now that you've watched the movie, what will you do is kind of the question we ask ourselves when we start creating these. Hopefully that work outlives us all and really has an impact on communities, like you said, far beyond current day communities. There's all kinds of ways through what is happening in America right now in local communities at a legislative level, the fear that is propelling so much of that because content is everywhere now. So you can send a learning companion home to somebody. Yes. Right. You know, you can say, Hey, take a look at this. This is some of the things that we think are important for students to know. There's all kinds of ways to do different things. I think though, the word that you use that I like the most is imprint. 
It's an imprint. It's about starting to imprint in your mind and heart something different. And as you said before, that conversation that I said, Sharon Contreras, you know, read in that book she and I had, if we both are sitting at our age, you and I, and we <laughs> both read that same book, it's imprinting differently, right? I'm white, you're black. The what those messages are that are coming to a young child, if there's only one sector, which has been the history of this country, telling the story a certain way, it impacts everyone. And I just think the masses have a better chance of building a future where the imprint is different because the conversation is different. The lens is not what it has been. And we are telling, as you said, the truth in history, which is what all culturally responsive education is about, as you well know. Yes. I looked at the Sankofa Learning Guide, which I think is fantastic because it's all about that history. I want you to talk for a minute about Sankofa. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know you have a special interest in genealogy and tell me a little bit about that film and that guide. Oh, well, this film is pretty much the most famous film uh, made by filmmaker Haile Garima. If you ever study film, you will more than likely uh, come across his story and the story of his peers at UCLA back in the 60s. Sankofa is a, a beautiful film about resistance and it follows a woman who takes like this um, transformative journey back in time from being a supermodel on the beaches in West Africa to being an enslaved person on a plantation in the deep south and we follow her journey and it focuses on the life of this woman as opposed to the people that she works for which was the first time that we saw this type of character on the big screen. And so Mr. Garima won all kinds of accolades for this film, and then he couldn't get it distributed. So uh, he took it upon himself, he and his wife, to self-distribute this movie. And this movie became like the thing that you heard people chatting about and talking about on the film scene in the uh, early 90s. And, and folks were just enamored with the way he told the story and the boldness of which he told it. I mean, mm -hmm. he talked about revolution. He talked about rebellion, you know, all the things that uh, you hadn't quite seen um, when it came to stories about people who were enslaved. So when we dug into the learning companion, it was important to us to make sure that we really took away a lot of those themes and put them into something that was tangible for people to use every day. And so, yes, people who know me know I have a passion for genealogy, so that made its way in here as well. And we had a beautiful contributor, Hannah Scruggs, who's a family historian, who helped us with those lessons. And actually, we created these audiograms, which are great to listen to, where she walks you through all the different ways that you can collect data when you're building your family tree. And so having been a lay genealogist for over 20 years, it's very overwhelming for people to start on the journey of self-discovery through family right. history and building family trees. And a lot of times people will log into a website, they'll start to add things. And then they're like, this is nuts. It's too much information. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> yeah. or, or it's downright for a lot of people, it's downright traumatic yeah. uh, because yeah. they hit a brick wall so fast mm -hmm. um, because of, of, of lots of different reasons. So 
we approach the genealogy section, um, which is uh, lesson two, in a way where we talked about the traditional ways of going about doing family research, but also what it's like for people to do African-American genealogy and what it means to hit the 1870 brick wall, which is what it's called because the 1870 census is the first census that actually lists formerly enslaved African-Americans by name. Right. Prior to 1870, the 1860 census, the 1850 census, you'll just see the slave owner's name mm-hmm. and then a list of people by gender and age and sometimes um, you know, ability. So it will say Sam Smith and then it will say black male 30, you know, right. uh, black female two, um, and it will just go down that list. So we talk about what it's like to run into that 1870 brick wall. She also talks about what it's like to research if you're adopted, um, what it means to research if you're looking through military records, uh, what, what are the hurdles you'll run into if your family immigrated to the United States. So it was really cool for us to really have her dig into those things. But then what happens when you have all of that information? So we brought in Andre Taylor from William and Mary, and he's the oral historian there at the university. And this brother is bad. He is, he's incredible with being able to um, help people take their family histories and present them in a way that they can live on forever. So we all know you can videotape yourself right. and, uh, or videotape your elders and, and then save those videos. But then we get into where can you put them so that they live on? What are the repositories out there that they can live in? And more so, he talks about unique ways to collect those oral histories. He has one that's all about food ways. And so in the guide, he talks about how you can use food as a thing that catapults people into stories about history and family. You know, where did the recipe come from? Who made it first? Who makes it best? Why isn't she allowed to make it anymore? You know, and so yeah. all, all those things that you talk about when you're in the kitchen at a family event and everybody's cooking and, and they're saying, you don't put that much of that in there. Why? Well, because there was this one time and and how people are more likely to tell personal stories over food for some reason. So I thought it was unique that we were able to bring a new way of trying to collect family information and share family information and the best practices to do that. And of course, always very, very, very proud to have people come on board and write a lot of this for us. And then we really dug into the trauma that takes place for a lot of people when they even try to approach this type of information. Um, And so we had a professor right out of Atlanta, Dr. Sonia Wilson, who really got into what thing, you know, things that I didn't even understand or realize existed or or phrases or, or vocabulary that were new to me, like embodied memory, right? The fact that in your DNA lives um, trauma, trauma. Yeah. <laughs> right? And so that manifests in our students in their classrooms and that manifests as adults in the workplace and just as citizens of the world and how and why that came to be. And so she's, she was brilliant at putting a lot of that together. And, and then we had like Christina Posnan from enslaved.org, another just phenomenal human being who oh, was yeah. able to really talk to us about narratives, first person narratives, second person narratives. So those were all really, really cool things. And, and we try to bring in these subject matter experts each time, because of course, we're not necessarily a company that only does education, obviously. So right. we wanted to make sure that we were truly, truly, truly 
bringing in folks who could help us teach this to other people. And then finally, in lesson four, we just get into the brilliance of Haile Garima. Um, you know, he calls his uh, bookstore in DC, Liberated Territory. And that's what Ava calls this space here at Array in Los Angeles and at, um, in historic Filipino town. She calls it Liberated Territory. It's a safe place where people can come and talk about things that are important to them as it relates to arts and media. Um, and the campus is just, you know, a welcoming place for those types of conversations. So each one of these learning companions, we do our best to really, to really wrap our arms around all the different ways that people take in information and learn. And then also what it is that people want to learn about and try to give them information that they've never heard before so that they can take that into their everyday lives and, and have an impact on their world. I think that is really critical because I think what you guys are doing and what we're trying to do with Defining Us is to really get people to want to know more, to dig deeper, to find out what the real truth is and to have the conversation. Yes. Really start to be, you know, I always say, because you know, we do campaigns around the country for school systems. Um, we've done campaigns, you know, for, for corporate folks and, and, and that sort of stuff around social issues. And you have to raise enough awareness. The first piece is have the conversation. Yes. Have the conversation and then look deeper and then have the conversation again. <laughs> Because honestly, and then again, and again, and again, because we are lifelong learners on this journey, and it's not a one-time thing. It's a shift where you're exploring and wanting to know more, and you're willing to go there. I mean, I have to say, in, in my own journey in this work, I started out looking deeper into things like implicit bias and what's going on person to person, right? Right. And the more I got into it and the more I started to try to learn the roles that were played and what was really happening in the hearts and minds of people, Tammy, mm -hmm. and I think this is what educators know because they deal with so many um, students, you know, they from all kinds of cultures and backgrounds is what I started to realize is how much the systems really drive so much of that. You know, the systems that have developed. Yes systemic problems that we have that we, you know, that, that are just, it's the sins of the fathers and then more sins of the fathers. And then that's passed down from generation to generation. I'm talking um, from a white perspective right now in terms of an ability to understand and, a be, and being willing to see, right? That is something that happens, you know, there's a, a lot of education that has to happen and a lot of paying attention. And that is why I think it's so critical in schools that we're teaching all these things and we're inclusive in schools of history and teaching truth in history, because that's where you can actually start to change hearts and minds of all kids in a class, all teachers in a school, right? And start to disrupt those systems within the system and to really give proper training to adults that can teach something new. I mean, I've had several superintendents and top educators in Defining Us say to us in their interview, school is where I can teach you something new. Even if your parents aren't teaching you it at home, 
even if they're, and that's what people are afraid of, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. And even in my humble opinion, but, and even if what you have always been taught historically, you know, I can at least, I'm not going to teach you. I'm not going to force you to believe something, but I can expose you to ideas and information that you haven't had. And I love what you're doing in Sankofa. I just got got to say for the educators that are listening, because that project-based learning. Yes. I'm going to go in now and show you how to do your genealogy. Mm -hmm. I'm going to talk to you about all the things that are going on inside of you that you may not know about. I'm going to talk to you at a level that you can understand. I'm going to meet a eighth grader where they are. I'm going to meet a senior where they are that allows a teacher to have that kind of broad range. That's where we imprint, right? That's where it becomes more than just awareness. But now I'm, I'm making it my own as they like, as like we like to say in education. So it has been a true pleasure to talk to you today. We really, really appreciate your, the opportunity, love the work you're doing. Leave us with Tammy, a couple of ways that people can find you, get in touch with you, download the guides. What would you like the audience to know? Oh, thank you so much. Again, thank you for having me. I love having these types of conversations. Um, especially with folks like you. You can find us at array101.org. A-R-R-A-Y 101.org is where all of our learning companions live. We have learning companions to accompany the mini series When They See Us about the Exonerated Five. We have one for Selma, um, which was the Oscar uh, nominated film uh, that Ava directed and produced. And uh, we have one of course for Sankofa, and there will also be one for Colin in black and white. And pretty soon we'll have one for a film called They've Got to Have Us about the history of black cinema. And so these learning companions will be continually produced so that people can have them. Again, they are free. And I know you have a lot of educators listening as well. So if there are ever educators who want to uh, contribute, help us contribute, help us think through or test out these learning companions, we always love to have more educators involved with these so that we make sure that we truly are meeting folks where they are when it comes to learning styles. So I can be reached at Tammy at ArrayNow.com, giving you my email address, T-A-M-M-Y at ArrayNow.com. So they can reach out directly to me if they choose to, or if they just want to be added to our mailing list so that they can receive materials from us. So again, it's been a thrill to talk to you about all of this wonderful, delicious information that we're providing for free to folks. And hopefully people use them and they truly, truly, truly understand that you know, they are more powerful than they think that they are. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. And we will have podcast notes on the site that will give you some deeper ways to look at some of the guides that you guys are providing. And we will also have all your information on the site. So thanks again. I'm hoping we'll talk soon. And it's been great to have you. And congratulations to you guys on your film. It's a very big deal that you guys are appearing in film festivals and getting the word out. And I'm just so proud of you for pushing, pushing, pushing to make sure people understand more about education and educators <laughs> and kids, of course. So thank you for that. Thank you, Tammy. Appreciate that. And we will talk soon. Thank you.